Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sarkin. And every week, we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. This week, we bring you the first of a series of special sponsored episodes celebrating Black History Month, featuring in-depth reviews of films from Universal Pictures' Home Entertainment Vault. The theme, Mike, Black films that have become cultural phenomenons. And we're going to dissect why that is. They're all available to own now on digital and disc with deleted scenes and special features. And we're going to talk about that as well. Each film represents a different genre of film. That's right. And thank you to Universal Pictures for the paid support of this episode. In this episode, we're going to be discussing a horror film that became a cultural phenomenon. Get out. We're here. You ready for this? How bad can it be? Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. We're thrilled to have you for the get together. I want to introduce Rose's boyfriend. I'm Chris. Good to see another brother around here. Something is weird. Come in and sit with us. Sink. I can't move. Why can't I move? You're paralyzed. Get out. Get out. Get out. So, Mike, I mean, just hearing this trailer, I'm back in the film again, you know? I'm back on the first time that I saw Get Out. So I ask you, what was your first reaction when you saw the film? Well, honestly, I hadn't really seen Key and Peele. I had known about them. I had a lot of friends who liked them, and I was aware of Jordan Peele. And I just knew him as part of this comedy team. As a matter of fact, the only time I really had seen him on screen was a film they did prior to Get Out was a film called Keanu. So I was very curious as to why he'd be venturing into horror and specifically the idea of having horror with black main characters. But my first reaction seeing it in the very opening three minutes of the movie, it struck me because there's a sequence where Lakeith David is walking down the street in what is probably a predominantly white neighborhood late at night. And then all of a sudden this car starts following him. And right away, I knew this was a different kind of horror. It was a horror I myself had experienced when I was a young man in a primarily white neighborhood late at night trying to find an address. I didn't have a car follow me, but I did hear people yelling from the darkness across the street, the N-word, and it scared the shit out of me. It was the kind of fear I think women can relate to, but I don't think it's the kind of fear white people can relate to necessarily. It's a very specific thing for a black man or for a black person to be in a white neighborhood they don't know. And as we witnessed throughout history, especially in the last few years, violence against people of color, specifically police killing people, it, it makes the whole idea that you could be in the wrong place at the <laughs> wrong time. And it's your life. Just like Ahmaud Aubrey, who got killed for just jogging in a neighborhood in broad daylight. So for me, looking at that scene in the very beginning of the film, I knew I was in for something different. But, but Jack, now I got to ask you, what was your first reaction to seeing the film? And what was your connection or expectation or experience with Jordan Peele prior? Two words. Black horror. I had never seen anything like i've seen horror movies but come on man if you remember uh, friday the 13th michael myers freddy krueger this is the gen x 80s right and all the slashers mike were all white 
So for me, the monsters are always white. The monsters are never black, right? And it was the first time that the horror was with black skin to me. And cinematically, I don't know if I ever paid money to see that. Because my idea of black horror, if, if I could even name it that, was like the black Eddie Murphy vampire movies. They were just silly, right? They weren't meant to really scare you. But with Jordan Peele, it was like that added layer. It's like, wait, this can't be the guy from Key and Peele that's delivering this masterpiece. Like, wow, and it's so original and it has so much to say. It's a smart social commentary horror film, psychological horror. And again, because of the black skin, it impacted me in a way, I think from that moment on, I saw movies completely different. Like I needed to have that black experience in everything I saw moving forward, Mike. One of the things I think this film did in many ways and what makes it culturally significant is how it reminded audiences in Hollywood and, and filmmakers really how horror specifically is a genre that can that that can be used for social commentary, and and seldom is that the case. And and to address race, other than the movie Candyman, I can't even think of a film that even in the nature of the character's race played into it. Like you said, the Friday 13th, these slasher films, they might have been one black character in there, but they get cut up just like everybody else. So black horror films have been a very, very limited things. And I could name like on one hand, the amount of black horror films there were. So one of the beautiful things and a testament to that cultural impact is that since Get Out, we've seen a number of black horror films from the diaspora and mainstream horror films with blacks in leading roles like uh, Nikiatu Yusu's Nanny or Ma with Octavia Spencer or Anita Roca de Silveira's Medusa from Brazil. So we would never a horror film directed by a woman from Brazil. I couldn't even see putting that sentence together prior to Get Out. Think about the Afro-Latino horror movie experience. I don't even know if it exists, Mike. And if it does, it's not here in the United States. And that's a problem. That's a worry. So I think that what Jordan Peele has really done with Get Out is allowed us to see black horror for a lot of people like myself for the very first time, cinematically, artistically, with, with social commentary. Because in the Latino cinematic movie space, movies like that, they just don't really exist, man. And so it is fantastic to have seen it. And I think it's really changed the scope and the way I watch movies uh, moving forward. It was a game changer. Take my advice. Like what? Like, don't go to a white girl parent's house. She doing licking your balls or something? <laughs> yeah, bye. You know what I'm saying, Chris? Chris. Chris. This hung up on me. All right, Mike. So, not to have you speak for the entire black community, but how do you feel that black men in particular reacted to the film? 
And why do you think they reacted the way they did? I think that black men in particular, I think one of the elements of the film was the interracial relationship. And as someone who has been in that space where I've dated a white woman and the parents either didn't approve or did they approve or did they know about me or what was the issue and all of that. So that was an, an element I'd never seen. Here we are in a horror film and we're dealing with something like that as well. And that's also a fear because this is a film that deals with fears, deep rooted fears, fears that just like the, the white character in the film is somewhat dismissive of his fears, which is something I think, Again, there are a lot of metaphors going on in this film. So I think as a black man, there's also, whether you want to or not, you are making a political statement when you show up somewhere. If you're a black man with a white woman on your arm, you're making a statement. And you, you may not be intending like, well, this just happened to be the person that I happen to fall in love with or be dating or whatever, but it's not. And you're going to also get reactions for other black people, other black men, but more specifically from black women. Now, the other thing I think about Get Out specifically and just how it was received was, let's face it, for a film to be commercially successful, it can't just rely on one audience. It can't be just a black audience, can't be just a Latino one. It can't be. So I agree because that's what happened with Crazy Rich Asians as well. It's, it, it could not rely just on Asian demographics going to the movie. It needed everybody to go and everybody did go. Again, the, the, the reaction to the black community is now here we have a film like horror is a genre we all know. And I think Latinos are saying we all know black folks love horror movies. We all love horror movies. Okay. And that's, it's a big part. We're a big part of that. Like a black horror movie comes out, you know, blacks and Latinos are going to that movie. All right. So <laughs> we love horror movies, man. We over index like every year the MPA comes out with like all the comedy genres and all the horror genres and all the action genres and Latinos and blacks are like number one on each one of them. It's hilarious. Exactly. So we're not only having something that's for us, featuring us, and that's written through our lens, because this is a film that's not just a horror film, but it's also a film because it's written by a black writer who their lens on society comes from that perspective, the reaction from critics across the board were glowing. Every single review, especially what, what stood out to me was reviews from other countries like the UK. They saw it as an indictment of American culture. And in many ways, yeah. this is sort of like a, a nightmare version of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Which, yes. At the time, that was a film that was a little bit polarizing in the Black community because of what Sidney Poitier was coming to represent as we were closing in on the 70s. But I think part of what makes Get Out so special is that it's a blend of, of genre, storytelling, social commentary, intriguing characters, all these things. It, it's almost like a master class in screenwriting. Right. And I remember at the time seeing it because I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan and I felt this is like a cousin of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of devices, the visual diet, even the idea of the sunken place. When you look at it, it reminds you of like the opening of the Twilight Zone. So I feel like watching this movie and as a matter of fact, the rewatch, I really enjoyed get out maybe even more on the rewatch or, or in a different way because when you watch get out you're watching this movie and, and you're 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 watching people act in weird things especially the party scene which is in my opinion one of the best scenes ever and 
every person of color that's been in a white space knows that scenario where all of a sudden, hey, brother, hey, man, hey, how you doing? Like all that stuff is completely accurate, but it went further. And now when you rewatch it, you realize what's going on. And it's almost like you're in on it. So it gave a whole nother layer for me to watch this film. Once you're in on it, once you almost like watching the sixth sense, you remember that? Like once you know he's dead, then you watch it again. You're like, ah, ah, ah. And that's when you really see just how brilliantly constructed this movie is. So I, I think Get Out achieved this, this surreal sense of things there was a surreality you're in that white space and white people are acting all weird and acting in ways they wouldn't act around each it's other it's so uncomfortable man it, it, it's uncomfortable because they're trying to make you comfortable which just makes you more uncomfortable it's awkward exactly <laughs> so I, I think that watching that movie for black people struck so many chords on so many levels that it's a much used term, but it was an instant classic. How do you feel now? I can't move. You can't move. Why can't I move? You're paralyzed. Just like that day when you did nothing. You did nothing. Now, sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. You want to know how it works? We do use focal points sometimes to guide someone into a state of Heightened suggestibility. Heightened suggestibility. That's right. Now you're in the sunken place. I have to ask you, one of the biggest metaphors in the film for me was the sunken place not the definitive metaphor of the whole film for you mike what does the sunken place represent now the sunken place for me it's almost like an out-of-body experience like it is in the film where it represents you being in a situation where you don't really have control you're there you're operating, but you only have but so much control. You only have so much agency. And I think the loss of agency is something that I think every person of color can feel, especially in this country anyway, where you, you don't really necessarily have a say or you, you kind of have to stand on the outside and watch people make judgments about you or make decisions for you or make decisions that they think should work for you without ever asking you. So to me, the sunken place is a place that you might have to retreat to or some place you're sort of banished to, a psychological place, a social place even sometimes where you're in this place that you're a spectator in your own life. Right. 
And do you think that a film- now? What about you, though? No, what I want to know what you thought of the sucker place. You can't ask me and not tell me what you thought. Hey, hey listen, I, I really feel that I don't. I don't know if Jordan's intent was to include Latinos in in that sunken place, even though we have been. But I think the Afro-Latino will probably relate to it more because for us, the sunken place, if you had to say like for indigenous Latinos, man, it's the colonizers. And that birth of oppression begins with the colonizers. So you could argue that, but will we ever see a get out for Latinos, you know, where we have our version of the sunken place and what that could possibly look like, you know, um, it'd be very interesting. Again, coming back to the power of it, I, I feel that comedy and, and science fiction horror, they, they have the ability to disarm an audience. And, and when you disarm the audience, now you, you can talk about something, address a topic or things that are uncomfortable, things that need to be discussed. You can discuss it, whether it's racism, sexism, bias, any of those things, because of the context of the film, because it's a genre film, because it's aliens instead, or it's this plot to take over your body. But if you understand the metaphor, the whole idea of white people wanting to use black bodies for their own devices. The whole idea of, hey, this would be nice. Why don't I take this from you? You could look at a lot of aspects of a black culture and how it's been co-opted by the dominant culture and taken and then put back out there as something else, but controlled now by the dominant culture. So the whole idea of black bodies being taken over, but there's still a little piece of you in there and you're in that sunken place watching a spectator while someone else takes your culture. I mean, just from, just from, let's just use language, a phrase that is part of the black culture. When it becomes co-opted by the dominant culture, it's like, oh, now you kind of have to fade into that sunken place. It's like, I don't even want to use that term anymore because I've been watching this white person say it 10 times and they don't know what the fuck they're saying. So Mike, in this segment, we're diving a little deeper into the themes and motifs of Get Out. And we already spoke about the sunken place, but are there any other metaphors that you felt were just as striking and just as lingering. Forget sunken place. Why don't we replace that with brainwashing? And, you know, we recently did an episode on what we called cultural compromise. And the thing about the sinister plot here, you know, with the coagula, is the whole idea of robbing Black people of their agency. And clearly that's a strong metaphor, but I think the whole idea of you not having a say about your place in a society. The whole idea of you only having value based on your physicality, based on how much you can bring to their table versus, you know, there was nothing about, like, there's a scene in the movie where, and again, talking about the rewatch a little bit, the scene in the movie where, you know, they get stopped by the cops on the way up to the house. Sir, can I see your license, please? Wait, why? She's very defensive of him. No, 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 he wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Yeah, why? That 
doesn't make any sense. And you're wondering, okay, this is the kind of person she is. She's defending him. And, you know, this is part of why he's with her. She's, you know, she's that kind of white girl. But then when you see it as a rewatch, you realize, huh, she's not so much interested in defending him. But now, because her parents, her grandparents, are actually black people, so now she has a different view. So the whole idea of how invested uh, a person is or, or white people can become then in your blackness when it's value, when your value as blackness or as a black person, as a black artist, as a black contributor, as a Latino contributor, now you have a different level of value. So now I'm going to fight for you because it is in my best interest to do so. And I think that that's uh, uh, something that I think both blacks and Latinos can relate to just the whole idea, just the whole metaphor that, you know, and we've seen it in sports where like, okay, you're, you're worth X amount, but then when it's over, you know, they're, they're shut up and dribble. Sh exactly. Shut up and dribble. Don't do it. Hold, hold on. I'll buy you, but to get off that knee, what's Herschel Walker going to be doing? How, how many white folks are going to come to the aid of Herschel Walker now that he's outlived his usefulness? So that's, that's kind of part of what I feel. You know, I've been saying it for a while. It feels like black athletes are the original gladiators, you know, in the Coliseum for entertainment for, for the Kings and everybody would root for their death or their victory, you know, but it was entertainment for them. And there's so much of that within the film. So I, I, I totally understand those other aspects of, uh, uh, of those metaphors. I also think of, of music. It's sort of, it's okay to play hip hop at the party, at the club, at the bar. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's okay to go watch this person play basketball or football or baseball, but please do not bring one home. And I think that that's part of the power of here's a film that we can sit and talk about that was completely enjoyable it's like i said it's a giant scary twilight zone episode but at the same time all those things are being discussed in this story without being discussed they're all being touched upon they're all being hit upon even little things like there's a moment towards the end of the film one of the great scenes where he's like where are those keys where are those keys and she's like i'm looking for him i'm looking for him Roast the keys I don't know where they are. And you know she's not looking for him. And she had him in her hand. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. The, the 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 way she, her face changed. I was like, yeah, oh, she's, and she's like, you know, I can't give you the keys, right, babe? <laughs> so, and and the whole audience is like, oh, he's screwed now. Oh, yeah. Black Lives Matter happens in 2020. Floyd dies in 2020. What do you think the significance of this film is post-Floyd? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I mean, on, on the one hand, we have to contextualize Floyd a little bit. It was it, Floyd and Black Lives Matter movement all happened during a period when people didn't have their normal distractions. You know, and this kind of comes back to the whole, 
sunken place thing, you know, like the whole brainwashing. It's like, okay, if, if when you snap out of it, like Lakeith David does for a minute, when the flash happens, you snap out of it, you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm stuck in a horror movie. And then you can be brought right back to that sunken place. And then they're fine with you staying there. So they're fine with you not being too loud, not being too verbal. Just don't just, just let it happen to you. And the notion I think brown and black people can relate to is just the idea of let it happen or wait or your time is coming, which one of our guests said for Latinos, you know, the whole idea that you have to sort of be passive to achieve something or passive to, to get by or passive just to live. The question then, is that really living? Because at the very end of the film, if you remember the, the grandfather, when he snaps out of it, he's not going back. He shoots himself because no, he'd rather die than go back to that sunken place. I would describe this movie as a classic horror film in the vein of The Stepford Wives or Rosemary's Baby. It gives you all the thrills and the scares of a great scary movie, but there's more to it than that. It's a horror movie where everybody should be screaming, get out, get out of the house. Get out! Yo, shoot, get out! In this final segment, we're going to be talking about Jordan Peele's transformation from a comedic actor to an A-list Hollywood horror director. Dude, he's on the same level of M. Night Shyamalan Presents. Jordan Peele Presents, or from the mind of Jordan Peele. I don't know if you want to use M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> okay, but listen, he's, he is a director of color, okay? And you know that before his decline... Yes, you're right. Okay, you're right. You're that's right. the way movies were presented from M. Night. No, he, well, he, he so, set the bar. He set the bar pretty high for himself. He set, the, he set the bar. Now Jordan, you know, now his name is selling a movie, not an actor. And, it, you know, it brings to the point, Mike... How do you think his background in comedy influenced the way that he approached the horror genre to get something so original out on screen like that? I can liken his ascent to 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 a list Hollywood director and having the power and and the desire, not just the power, the desire to tell these stories. You know, I mentioned before how Get Out seemed like a Twilight Zone episode and then not long after that produced and brought back the Twilight Zone. But I mean, a couple things. I liken Jordan Peele to George Carlin. George Carlin was a comedian who was very funny, always very funny. But as he got older, as he gave less and less of a shit and he had more and more he wanted to say. Environmentalists don't give a shit about the planet. They don't care about the planet. Not in the abstract, they don't. Not in the abstract, they don't. You know what they're interested in? A clean place to live their own habitat. They're worried that someday in the future they might be personally inconvenienced. Narrow, unenlightened self-interest doesn't impress me. Besides, there is nothing wrong with the planet. Nothing wrong with the planet. The planet is fine. The people are fucked. <laughs> Difference. Difference. The planet is fine. I mean, they're still quoting George Carlin today because- Yeah, now, absolutely. Was George Carlin a futurist? No, but George Carlin 
called it like it is. And, and the thing about comedy, like I was saying before, and I think the thing about the best comedians is it is social commentary. It's always social commentary. It's always cultural analysis. You always have something to say. You could make a, a cartoon. You could make a comedy, a sci-fi movie, but, but you've got something to say. And Jordan Peele is someone who always has something to say. He's not just going for the scare. He's not just going for the joke. He's not just going for the special effect. He's got something to say. Not only does he have something to say, but he wants to engage you. And I think one of the, the things as a comedian, you know, it's set up and pay off set up and pay off as comedy. And that's, I think, one of the great, great, great things about Get Out. Right. Is that it's huge, huge setup. Like, where are we going? Where's this going? Where is this joke going? Where is this story going? And then the payoff is, oh my God. Like, you know, you want to clap because it's so good. So to me, I, I see him, like I said, similar to George Carlin in that sense where this is someone who's been looking at humans for a long time. He's been making us laugh at ourselves. He's done some great things that, you know, there's one, I think we referred to in one of our shows, like uh, the, how Obama, you know, talks to like all the white, (laughs) the code switching, right. The code switching that Obama did when he sees a brother in in the mix. Uh, I feel like Jordan Peele, similar to that, like he is speaking to us. Now, some folks are going to get it. Some folks are going to get all the levels, but it's like watching a great cartoon. You watch a great cartoon when you're a kid. There's a lot of stuff you love about it. When you're an adult, you watch and you go, oh, they were also saying this. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, the thing with Jordan Peele is I had not really seen the Key and Peele shows. Me either. Not even one episode. Yeah. So I, I didn't have that much going on. I had to go back. And check it out. But in in an interview that I heard from him, he had talked about how the Key and Peele show, it was the precursor of Get Out. Because in comedy, you know, George Lopez has talked about this as well. All the comedians of color, they all talk about it, how comedy comes from a place of pain. And so sometimes just being a stand-up comedian itself it's like a horror movie for them because of the stage fright, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So he, I think the only way he could have done get out Mike was if he had as a black man doing comedy around the Trump era and then being able to understand the chaos and the cacophony socially in America and how racism was no longer like the subtext of conversation. It was flat out blunt and obvious in your face. The curtain had been revealed. You know, it's like, here it is. And you had just been splattered with the pie of racism in your face. And you're just, you know, picking it out of your face going, okay, I get it. (laughs) It's here. That's why I think this movie's going to be rewatchable for years to come. Because you said, was Carlin a futurist? I go, let me tell you why Carlin sounds like a futurist. And let me tell you why Jordan Peele's Get Out is going to feel futurist as well is because this movie in particular, like things in America aren't going to change, Mike, anytime soon. This movie 30 years from now 
might be just as relevant as it was in the 60s. Uh, sadly. If you put this movie in the 60s, every black man in the 60s in America during Jim Crow, they're going to know what that movie represents. You know, that'd be an interesting experiment. If you create a short film or a short story where you take Get Out or maybe movies like Watchmen from HBO, from Damon Lindelof, that one that was like nominated for like 22 Emmys, and you take like content like that and you go back to the 60s and you present it to a black audience at that moment in America. What, how would they react to that and then compare that reaction to the reaction in real time in America in the present day? How does Get Out feel in a post-Floyd world, okay? And then how would Get Out feel in a, not just pre-Floyd, but let's say pre-2000, pre-Michael Jackson? How would it feel? Rodney King in 1992. Yeah, Rodney King, right? right. So that's what I was just going to say. Unfortunately, to me, though... George Floyd brought the the conversation of the relevance or the importance or or Black Lives Matter or Black Lives Mattering and why that's so offensive to so many people is because no that that's that's like that's like bringing them out of the sunken place no, 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 you can't say that their lives matter they're not going to want to go back to that sunken place let them go back there not realize you know, so to me, I think, yes, I think not only would it work in the past, I think it would work in the future. I think it will work in the future. And watching Get Out, there's no way to not watch it and not relate it to your personal experience. You know, I know for me as, as a person, but also coming back to what the, the power of comedy is the one great thing that comedy can do is make you laugh at yourself. So if you're a white person, you must have seen yourself as one of those people at that party. Oh, you know it. You had to. You had to. And then maybe that will make you check yourself. So those are the things like, and you also go back watching it saying, were there any way that he could have told what was going on? And then you realize it was in his face, but not only it was in his face, like what was going on, but who would even think? That they're bringing you there to take your body. You would never think that. So you, you're you're so unaware. Be not that you're in a sunken place, but you've been put in this place that you wouldn't know that. Yes, she's bringing you up there to kind of let big people bid on you. You would never think that. So all these things that are happening don't make sense. But once your eyes are open, so us as an audience now, our eyes are open. Now we're looking at it. We're not in a sunken place. We see it crystal clear. Oh my God, look what they were saying it all along. Oh, all these moments were really, really telling us everything, but we didn't know what we were hearing because we were not awake enough to know. So what to you was the most rewatchable scene in the whole film? Uh, definitely the, the party scene. Yeah, the party, the party scene. scene. I think we both have to agree with that, yeah. Yeah, the party scene because because of so just, again, it's a scene that you watch it when you're watching it the first time you're laughing. I know I, I myself am laughing as a, Oh yeah. And then you start stripping it down. Right. Man. Right. You start stripping it down and I've seen movies and I don't know what it's like to be, you know, the Latino, but I mean, there's also, <laughs> you know, there's certain stereotypes that you don't mind, you know, when you're a black guy, like the certain like, Yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah, we do, you know, but then there's certain stereotypes that you're like, Oh, here we go. 
So it's like, what are you going to be offended by in that party? And what are you not offended by? And then what is just like, okay, that was weird. I don't know whether to be offended or not. No, listen, Mike, as a Latino, I don't necessarily think that we're too far from that. Okay, I'll explain to you this, and it's very quick. It's never as bad as if you're a black man in a white space. But as a Latino, as a brown person, I've been in a Broadway show, front row, and as I look back, Mike... I don't see anyone that looks like me. It is a sea of white skin. And I have felt so uncomfortable. Like, I shouldn't be here. I become self-conscious. I start, you know, physiologically, my heart starts beating a little faster. You feel like... I can't wait for the show to be over so I can I can leave because I feel like I can't share my enjoyment with anybody here. And I feel like maybe the price is so high because they know that most people of my skin color can't afford Broadway. And there are no Broadway promotions or discounts or coupons, which is the stereotype that we have. And our generation has proven that wrong. So I'm not going to say that we experience the black experience when it comes to white spaces, but damn it, man, we go through it too in a, in a maybe more of a more lighter way, a more milder way. You bring up something interesting too that touches upon, I guess, the, the largest divide other than gender, which is the, the class divide. And then the question is like, if you are that Latino or that black person in that space, you're the only one other than the person behind the counter or the person sweeping up in the corner, you're going in. What do other Latinos who are not going in that see you going in, think of you as you're going in, do you have to block them out, not care? Or are you aware? Like he, there's a scene in the movie where he tries to explain to her, he's like, well, the maid, she gave me this weird look, you know, he didn't know it was the mom. And he's like, like she didn't approve and, you know, maybe she didn't approve. And she's like, why would the maid not approve of who I'm with? And he was trying, well, it's a thing. And that's the thing. It is a thing. It's a thing. How we judge each other is a thing. And again, just another layer there. Like that's part of that, the, the, the fear, the concern, the uneasiness of being in an environment where maybe you're not the only black or Latino, but the other blacks and Latinos are servers and you're the only one at the party. Absolutely, man. Look, I, that's a very specific. I think that scene in particular will be taught in film classes in film school. It'll be a part of a curriculum or a syllabus, and they're going to show that scene, you know, for the tension, the uneasiness, what it says without saying it, um, and all the layers and metaphors that it uses. You know, it's it, it's an artistic scene. It's a horrific scene. It's a historical scene that says a lot about Americans' dark history. So, yeah, man, I think the party scene, definitely one of the more rewatchable scenes that I think eventually will make it to the National Registry, you know, as one of the better scenes in in modern cinema. Chris, I want to introduce you uh, to some friends. 
The garden party is a scene that is, is a great representation of what the movie is. And everybody that speaks with Rose and Chris is bringing up their connection to the African-American culture. Gordon was a professional golfer for years. Oh, you kidding? Well, I can't quite swing the hips like I used to, though. But uh, I do know Tiger. So really what you have is people being very friendly, but, and this happens in real life a lot, you know, Chris is kind of denied an experience where he's anything but sort of like the token black guy at the party. Some is he. One thing that I found really interesting was the behind the scene featurette spike. I had not seen the original when I got my Blu-ray. I didn't check them out, but in this second watch, I saw, dude, the alternative ending to get out dude that's that's the best thing and i was like wait a minute they had one i didn't even know that they had an alternative ending so i saw it and i just was curious to knowing if you had a chance to see it too uh, absolutely for me that was the key i mean i first of all i love deleted scenes behind the scenes you know as a filmmaker myself i love seeing what could have been and then saying like huh well yeah that was right they should have cut that out oh i wish i saw that i love that whole process of watching all the deleted scenes but for me the alternative ending and what i loved and i don't want to give it away because like you should just watch it but the what i loved about the alternative ending is part of what i enjoy watching is like what did the thinking go into like why was something cut or why was it you know why was that even shot and <laughs> right. it makes you completely have a different feeling about the film when you see the film it, it's an almost a noirish ending let's put it like that and it's a very different ending and then the question is is it more satisfying less satisfying i i i don't want to give it away but the question i think must have become was that ending satisfying enough it's a resolution but was it satisfying enough what was interesting to me is that there was a lot of clips of Little Ray Howery and him doing that last scene, like maybe four or five times, trying to get the right joke. And I'm thinking, why did they dedicate so many scenes for us to see of the, the humor and the comedy right at that moment? And, and, and this is the only thing I can say, Mike. You had to shoot that like maybe five to seven to 10 times, maybe even 30 times because humor at that moment, at that climactic moment, if your timing's not right, bro, that scene doesn't work. And now that I think about the original ending, I'm like, wow, how many scenes do they have to get to, to get the right look, the right timing there. And so you see the process, the creative process uh, of Little Ray Howard here in his character, Rod Williams, of how, I mean, dude, some of them were gems that I could have completely done with if that was the alternative way. But I thought that the way they treated humor and comedy with the horror of that moment, man, was such a, such a fine line, Mike. And I think they nailed it. Not only did he nail it, and, and I'll just add to what you're saying there, is I think that here's a comedian respecting another comedian, giving another comedian space to do their thing, you know, because the movie at this point, this is, you know, the, 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 it's, it's as like, you know, like, it's like going down that trench in star Wars, like you're coming to that, coming to that, coming to that, coming to that, coming, coming to that. And then 
when there's a release, you need to laugh. You need to like, feel like, okay, <laughs> yes, I got out. It's a must. It's a must. So the joke, like you said, has to be right. It has to hit right. The ending has to hit right enough so that when the movie's over, that you actually let out, you know, like, you, you know, it's a relief. And I think that that's part of why the ending they used, they used and, and the sequence and, and the jokes and everything they use. And I think that that's part of, again, like I said, comedy set up and payoff. I think Jordan Peele smartly chose uh, essentially a hero who had the most objectivity of anybody in the movie. He saw things clearly from day one. And that, but you didn't know it because you didn't completely. It's like the voice of reason. It's the vo right? He's the voice of reason, but he's the voice of reason, but he's making you laugh so you don't take him seriously. Right. But in reality, just like George Carlin, he may be funny, but he's the truest motherfucker in the room. Well, that concludes our discussion about the film Get Out. We hope you enjoyed our analysis of the film, its themes, as well as the deeper conversation about representation and diversity in Hollywood. Yeah, Mike, we covered a lot of ground today, from the black experience watching Get Out to the deeper conversation about the metaphor of the sunken place. I mean, just saying it gives me chills. And we even delved into the bonus features and special features of the digital and the disc release. That's the thing. Get Out is truly a cultural touchstone. It's a film that has the ability to start important conversations about race and racism. And it'll definitely resonate with audiences of all backgrounds from years to come. That's right. And we also want to remind you that you can buy Get Out on digital and disc and add it to your movie collection. And for those who want to stay updated on upcoming movies, sign up for the Universal's email list to get sneak peeks at upcoming movies. All you have to do is go to uphe.com slash news. That's uphe.com slash news. Once again, thanks to Universal Pictures for their paid support of this episode. And that's it for this special episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and now we're on YouTube. In the next episode, we'll be analyzing the rated R comedy hit film, Girls Trip. So be sure to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.